This week on The Reverse Stick, we're joined by Australian hockey legend and Dutch national women's coach, Alison Annan. The Com Games are at the pointy end, and what's happened to Matt's voice? Once again, you're listening to The Reverse Stick, the global hockey podcast. My name is John Lee. I'm your host every week. Uh, this week, though, I'm not joined by Matt Allen. I'm joined by Les Folds. Good evening, John. Thanks for having me tonight. Oh, it's excellent to have you here, Les. It's nice to hear... Uh, a a different set of pipes. It, it is. Matt can't be here with us tonight because he's got... Well, it's school holidays, family duties things to do for the next couple of weeks, we're going to miss him, but uh, he'll be back again very soon, and he's still active on the socials too, so you can uh, keep in touch with him there if you like, but he just won't be appearing on the podcast for a couple of weeks, but it's good to have you here. Cheers mate, glad to be here. Yeah, we've got plenty to talk about in the hockey world, we're really looking forward to hearing from Alison Annan a little bit later on in the program, but before we do, it's time to get to uh, the first little section of the show, Les. I don't know how much you've actually listened to the podcast. That'd be news. It would be. News. Well, the big news is the Com Games in hockey this week, but just before we get to the Commonwealth Games, there has been some test matches going on between the USA and China, or there's one has gone on so far. There's another three to go over the next three days. Uh, In the first game, they drew two all. The USA and China in Lancaster in the USA And I've been saying for a little while Les, watch out for the Chinese, they're coming Mate, I saw the women's team here a number of years ago Now, it's probably a decade or so ago And they were on the way I think they're much closer now Oh, definitely And a little bit of money rolling around China too That would be good for hockey at the moment I just wish they'd keep buying our iron ore (laughs) Keep buying guys, keep buying that's the uh, major, apart from Commonwealth Games tournaments going on with the uh, the FIH Match Centre. It's what we use to get our latest international hockey results. There's plenty else going on in, in clubland. It's coming towards the end of the season there in England. I believe uh, Blackheath and Altamians. Um, Altamians, Blackheath, Old Altamians. Yes, might be through. a cup final. Cup final again. I think it's four years in a row now. They've won it a couple of times. They're back into it again this year. Go boys, good luck From a long way away, I wish you all the very best Ah, excellent Of course, your son was playing there, wasn't he? He did play there for a little while, yes Yes, I had one game with the greatest club on earth The first club on earth Really? Were they the first club? First, very first ever hockey club They have, they have I'm sure they have the records from about 1861 Although wow. they do know the club started earlier than that so you're actually uh, involved with a couple of clubs now that have long, rich histories. L- yes, yes, longer and richer than I am. <laughs> Commonwealth Games, though, that's the big tournament that's been going on in the last few days. Have you managed to catch much of it, first I of have, all? I've caught a fair bit of it. Well, what Channel 7's actually showed, am I allowed to say that channel on your oh. show? Um, yeah, I saw the, the boys' game today, saw a couple of the girls' games. Um, there's been some great hockey played. Goal of the tournament, I think, today, Jake Wetton. Put one off the baseline, past the NZ keeper into the roof of the net. Beautiful goal. 
absolutely magic. Not so many scored the other night between Australia and New Zealand in the women's game. That was a bit, uh, bit of a doer affair, shall we say. Uh, not enough celebratory moments. Not enough celebratory moments. There's that catchphrase again. <laughs> Where's it come from? <laughs> it's come out of a marketing guru's mouth, that one. <laughs> Look, just quickly, the, the women's, uh, we're at the point here, as mentioned in the introduction, it's at the end of the pool stage, there is actually, as we record, one pool match still going on at the moment, and that's the game between uh, Canada and Scotland, I believe, at the, um, if I can bring that screen up, uh, yeah, Canada and South Africa, sorry, that's the final game that's going on at the moment, which will have no bearing on the actual meddling results, only the the final classification games at the bottom of the table. Uh, for the women, semi-finals, England will play New Zealand with Australia up against India. What do you make of those? Yeah, interesting matches? games, aren't they? Interesting. So it'd be interesting to see how the Australians go against India. India are performing quite well. Who would you have tipped before the tournament, and now having seen a few games and seeing how the semi-finals have worked out, would you change your tip? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, but I think you'd have to. I think you'd have to. I think I would have seen South Africa up there a little bit higher on the uh, the table. I don't okay. think I would have seen India there. Right. Um, I, I did pick Australia and England to make it, so New Zealand. Good to see the uh, islands of Australia up there as well. Nice to see those ladies achieving something under uh, that great, uh, well, let's let's claim him, West Australian coach, Mark Hagar. Oh, we will. Horry, yeah, yes. we'll, we'll claim him from the Vic Park Club. Um, great bloke, great coach, getting some good results from him. I must admit, I'd like to see him get there because of Horry, because uh, he has done such a great job with the, that bunch of players and the, the system that they have in New Zealand. Uh, tell you what, India, they can easily knock off Australia, I think. that That's a really worrisome game for Australia. It wouldn't surprise me to see New Zealand and India in the final. Mm, well, going, going from the, uh, the result the other night against New Zealand, they did not fire at all, I don't think, the Australian girls. And... You know, looking at that uh, that game, New Zealand are going to trouble England, but I think India will trouble Australia more. That's mm. how uh, the women, look. Of course, by the time you probably listen to this podcast, most of those results have been decided. But I have a sneaky that India might creep through, the same way that they did at the Asia Cup, and and pinch this one. But we'll wait and see how it goes. Yes, yes, it will be played out shortly. On the men's side of things. Uh, it's, those pool games have basically been dissolved, although it's not finalised for that one game to come. But Australia and New Zealand finished top of the uh, pool A for men. India beat England in a classic qualification game that has just finished, just before we hit the record button. Uh, amazing result there it was in the end. And I can't see it right in front of me because <laughs> it doesn't want to come up. But... Uh, 4-3 I think the final result was there after being 1-0 at half time and 3-4 goals scored in the last 7 minutes I think it was So the commentators are saying on Channel 7 today that whoever won the Australia-New Zealand game would get the easier game in the crossovers I'm not sure that's going to be the case because I think with England having been spanked a little bit by the former colony, I think they'll be looking to uh, hunt Australia down and uh, maybe take a scalp there, which will be uh, a little bit disappointing for Australia if that happens. Of course, Batchy's men, I'm backing them. I'm sure they won't let it get to that. With what we saw today with some of the uh, the combinations that are actually happening out there on the field, it's fantastic to see. So they've played pretty well. To only concede two goals in a tournament 
to this stage, brilliant to score 16, means that they've got the right ends of the field firing, doesn't it? So Aaron Zalewski, great game today. When he gets into the midfield, he controls stuff really well. So Flynn Ogilvy, one of the Fremantle players, I mean, fantastic to see him out there playing too. Tom Wickham, the surprise package of the tournament, late inclusion after an injury, bit of a uh, rule. Yes, thing. Yeah, I thought I'd throw that one in there early. Yes, well, well done. I know someone who will be very happy that you did. Uh, <laughs> now, they did lose um, Blake Govers. They'd already gone into camp. The teams were announced and it was, everything was finalised. So normally, as we would have understood it, those rules would just apply. Bad luck, you miss out, your player gets injured. We saw it happen at uh, Hockey World League. We've seen it happen at the Azan Shah. Teams have lost players and you can't replace them. You're down one. Yep. Rotation's affected. Now, the Australians uh, were allowed to make the amendment because... The appeal was based on the fact that the CGF, the Commonwealth Games Federation rules for replacing an injured player, are inconsistent with the FIH tournament regulations in this matter. Well, isn't that just perfect in this particular case? You've got to give at least the Australian officials credit for spotting that anomaly and being able to make some sort of um, bureaucratic case for the to be allowed. For it to be allowed, yeah. Look, I mean, you know, Steve Smith. It's a Commonwealth Games. It's tough what the FIA is You know, Steve Smith is probably ruining the fact he didn't read all the rules. There may have been something about sandpaper. I'm not too sure. Not too sure about that. There probably is. I I reckon somewhere. I've got a wisdom in there. I'll go and look it up. They've got to have something in the rules there about that. We wish. Mint anyone? (laughs) Um, (laughs) But that was just interesting that the Australians were allowed to replace the player, and it, it wasn't because it was innately fair or there was some mitigating circumstances it was a bureaucratic argument that got them that player across the line yeah yeah fair play sir i suppose fair play if it's in the rules and you can twist them to your advantage (laughs) it's a horrible one that i'm looking forward to seeing how it all plays out in the next uh, couple of days across the weekend and perhaps we might have new commonwealth games gold medalists uh, certainly in the women's i would Mm. thought in the men's yep I think Australia in the box seat, but the, it's there to be won, isn't it? I don't think there's any sort of fait accompli with this competition whatsoever. I think there's a couple of dark horses there, and, uh, you know, all being equal, I'm Australian, go Australia, but it's always good to see a little bit of change at the top. Absolutely. Uh, just one more thing, Ghana. Uh, now, there was a couple of tweets going around across the weekend about, you know, oh, Ghana got beat 12 nil. this is the reason that we don't, you know... Our, pressure, our place is under pressure at the Olympic Games and all that sort of stuff. I, I was a little bit disappointed because I thought 12-0 from a nation like Ghana at a major international competition was actually quite a good result for those girls. Yeah, it's sort of reminiscent of the old uh, Saturday morning school days, isn't it? Those sort of score lines when you were playing somebody who, uh, you know, was struggling to know which end of the stick to hold. But, you know, it's their first opportunity at this sort of level of competition in yeah. Commonwealth Games. And I think, you know, some of the results you know, have been predictable. Um, you know, you would expect them to lose by a few. But let's not forget that, you know, Australia's absolutely spanked a couple of the uh, island nations and that sort of thing in certain competitions. So 12 nil oh, when you yeah. look at some of those 32 nil results and that sort of thing isn't really that bad. And I'm sure they're going to learn a lot more from that loss than they would have um, from a, a game against an easier country. Oh, absolutely. Most definitely. Look, they lost to Canada 5-1. Um, they lost to Scotland 5-0. So 
That was the worst loss. The twelve nil was their worst loss. Where was the other game that they played there? No, that yeah, that was their worst loss. So you know, so they've conceded what's that fifty twenty seven goals in a tournament. You know, for the first competition at that sort of level, well done. And the only way they're going to get better is to give them the opportunity. If we lock them away playing bad teams all the time, that's all they're only going to play. That's right. Bad hockey. They're going to play to that sort of competition level. Yeah. Play them against the big boys. Get them better. Get them stronger. Hockey can only be the winner. I agree with you, Liz. Absolutely. That's it about... Well, one more thing. I do have one more thing here. You might have heard of the tragic circumstances surrounding the Humboldt Broncos, whose bus had a bit of an accident. Canada. In Canada. Uh, very tragic. tragic circumstances. There was a minute silence held today by the players at uh, the Commonwealth Games. 11.30am uh, and 9.30pm, the, the hockey players held a minute silence for those poor... People involved with that tragedy there, and you know, it's something that sporting teams travelling is, you know, occasionally it's not a good mix. They say flying doesn't work with rock and roll, it's obviously catching buses of sports teams. In sport, yeah, and to all those, the, the family, the friends, the hockey fraternity over in Canada, yeah, um, you know, our best thoughts, our best wishes, our love and hugs for you guys. <laughs> Les, thank you for joining us here on the Reverse Stick, the Global Hockey Podcast. Standing in, as it turns out, you are actually standing. I am standing. actually standing, aren't I? Yes. <laughs> standing in for Matt Allen, who's on uh, daddy duties during school holiday periods. It's all right. He does have a chair for me. I'm just not having my ass spread any further. Yeah, we're not that poor. Not quite. It is a wooden chair, though. It's a fairly old wooden chair. And while Matt may not be in the studio... He hasn't left us alone. He's prepared a little bit of piece he mentioned last week, uh, giving us a little bit of a history of the Commonwealth Games. For those of you who are outside of the Commonwealth and perhaps are a little bit bemused by it all, uh, here's little Matt's Commonwealth Games history. We promised you last week that we'd give you a bit of a rundown on the Commonwealth Games for those that uh, aren't aware of what the tournament's all about or uh, perhaps some of you that know what it's about but don't necessarily know the history of the competition. Uh, so I'll give you a quick rundown. So back in 1891, John Astley Cooper uh, first wrote about a sporting competition that would bring members of the British Empire together. But it wasn't until 1911 that the coronation of King George V happened and an inter-empire championships was first held, and this included Australia, um, Australasia, Canada, South Africa and the United Kingdom. And they only competed at that time uh, in athletics, boxing, wrestling and swimming. The first official Commonwealth Games, and at that time they were known as the British Empire Games, were held in Hamilton in Canada, and that was in 1930. There uh, were 400 athletes from 11 countries competing in 59 events uh, across six different sports. Those were athletics, boxing, lawn bowls, rowing, um, and the aquatics, which were swimming and diving, uh, and also wrestling. Um, it was only women that actually competed in the swimming events at that time. And the com competing nations then were Australia, Bermuda, British Guiana, Canada, England, Northern Ireland, Newfoundland, New Zealand, Scotland, South Africa and Wales. And the competitions happened every four years since 1930, except for 1942 and 46 because of the Second World War. Uh, the name changed a few times since then, so from 1930 to 1950 it was the British Empire Games. And it was the British Empire and Commonwealth Games from 54 to 66, the British Commonwealth Games from 1970 to 1974, and then since 1978, just purely the Commonwealth Games. There have been nine nations that have hosted the Commonwealth Games. That's Australia, Canada, New Zealand, Scotland, England, Wales, Jamaica, Malaysia, and India. Um, and the 
competition is based around a core of 10 sports. Now, hockey was introduced in 1998. That's one of the 10 core sports alongside aquatics, athletics, badminton, boxing, lawn bowls, netball, rugby seven, squash and weightlifting. And then the host nation can then add, add another seven events that can include archery, basketball, gymnastics, rowing, softball, cycling and table tennis. And then back in 2002 when it was held in Manchester, that was the first time that the parasports were involved. Uh, if you listened to uh, last week's show with uh, Claire Allen, she mentioned that she was there uh, also looking at the hockey as long, alongside some of the parasports that were included there. Uh, the mandatory events in the parasports were athletics, lawn bowls, powerlifting and swimming. There cannot be more than 20 games I'm sorry, 20 sports involved now um, in the Games. Um, the history of hockey within the Games? Well, Australia have kind of dominated since it was introduced in 98 in Kuala Lumpur. Um, on the men's side, Australia have won every single gold. India have won silver twice. Malaysia have picked up a silver and a bronze. Pakistan, a silver and a bronze. New Zealand, a silver and a bronze. And England, two bronzes. Um, and... On the women's side, uh, Australia four times gold medalist, one time bronze. India gold medalist once uh, and silver once. England three times silver, twice bronze. And New Zealand once a silver spot and twice in bronze position. So Australia have really dominated the games um, over the years. And it will be interesting to see how we end up with the final series coming up this weekend. You are listening to The Reverse Stick, the global hockey podcast. A couple of things that uh, I found interesting that did come out of the Commonwealth Games. A couple of umpiring things. Not not banging at the umpires, by the way. Just little things that I noticed. Uh, The players and their use of the player review of the video referral system. I think they're finally getting the hang of it. And we're seeing a lot more players outside the actual phase of play becoming involved in appeals and becoming involved where they're not involved, if you know what I mean. Yeah, so yeah. we're seeing players involved in incidents who really are quite eager to get on with the game and other players coming out, coming into the situation from outside and having referrals made. So interesting times. What do you think of video referrals? Just as a you know, default position on it. Uh, default position is I think it had to happen. Yeah. I think uh, it's well known within the hockey fraternity that umpires have struggled for a number of years to keep up with the pace of the game. Um, umpires have struggled to stay on top of um, some of the moves that these incredible athletes are actually able to pull off now. Um, just things that you know people from our era would only have dreamed about. <laughs> I think with the changes of rules, it makes those sorts of play much easier. Um, and, you know... I think that if we want to have the best competition, if we want to view the best form of hockey that we can, I think it was inevitable that we had to get the video replays involved. So um, I don't want to see it overused. Yeah. I think they're going in the right direction with it. Um, I'm not too sure about players coming from the other end of the field becoming involved in referrals and things, a la soccer and stuff. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I think we need to watch it unfold a little bit more, so... Um, I'd hate to see it take over the umpiring um, position, if you like, as it has done in cricket. It's more likely to be an off-field decision in cricket, and I don't really want to see that happen in hockey, uh, because I still think you need that human element. 
You know, it's not all about the machines and the technology. I think we still have to include that human element. And if hockey does that, it will distinguish itself from some of the other top sports around the world. Uh, I think we've got a pretty good model. From what I've seen of what other sports do around the globe and the way their systems work, I think we've got a, a model that seems to be working well. There are some little tweaks it could do with. Language is always going to be an issue and a problem. Yep. Getting the right question. Yep. You know, a player can sometimes actually be right in what he's suggesting, but he just hasn't used the right words. To That's get it right. Across. That's right. That, that those sorts of things can be tweaked. My only issue with it, and this is in any sport and any model you choose to use, is that uh, uh, umpires not trusting their instincts to make calls and thinking, well, if there's a problem, they'll refer it. That's where the human element has to come yeah, in. I mean, so we umpires are have just fallible. got to, they've got to forget about the fact that there is a video referral system there at all when they, when they're umpiring the game. They've just got to call it as they see it and not think, oh well, if there's a problem there. Because we do hear that coming from umpires. It is a, something that's sort of creeping in there, this idea that, well, you know, it didn't look that bad, but if there's a problem, they'll refer it. And it'll be sorted out off the field yeah, for yeah, me yeah. rather than me taking the responsibility Absolutely. for making the decision, the correct call at the time. So, yeah, yeah, we don't want to get into a situation where the umpiring actually becomes worse and then relies on it. Yeah. Um, we want to see that fallibility still there, but when necessary, we can go to that video referral. So umpires, keep the whistle in the mouth, keep blowing what you see. It's <laughs> all you can do, blow what you see. You're listening to The Reverse Stick, the global hockey podcast. It's time now for our featured interview. And this week it was my great pleasure to talk to Alison Annan, a hockey legend here in Australia and globally, no doubt, a two-times Olympic gold medal winner, two-times Hockey World Cup gold medal winner, four times a Champions Trophy gold medal. She's won numerous Sports Player of the Year's Team of the Year awards, including the FIH Player of the Year twice and a Player of the Year in the Dutch Leagues twice as well. And now she's making her mark in the coaching ranks with the Dutch national women's team. The audio here is a little bit scratchy at times. Apologies for that. I've done my best to try and twiddle the knobs on it. Uh, and it is what it is. It's a great chat, though. I really enjoyed spending a little bit of time earlier today chatting to Alison Annan. Alison Annan, Thank welcome you. to The Reverse Stick. Thank you. Nice to be here. Look, for people who have followed your career over the years... Uh, your achievements are stunning, but it had to start somewhere. When when was the first time a stick came into your hands? Uh, I think I was around ten, and uh, I used to play hockey, uh, football, soccer with my brother. And we weren't allowed to play together anymore. We had one cast, and we chose hockey as a sport where we both could play in the same team. Okay, so it was a. Uh can you explain to people uh, Wentworthville in New South Wales? You were born there, and what sort of hockey culture was there in Wentworth, Wentworthville? Well, I wasn't. I didn't. I didn't uh, live in Wentworthville. I was born in Wentworthville, but I grew up in Campbelltown, southwest of Sydney. Uh, I really didn't know that girls played hockey until I went to. Uh, in my later years in primary school until I was about 12 and uh, so I started my first few years I just played with boys hockey and not knowing that girls played hockey and uh, then I came into contact with a man called John Robinson who was a school teacher and he actually told me you know, girls do play hockey and 
this is the team that you could go to. So I think the injuries and superiors are what I then referred to as girls hockey. Do you think that playing with boys at such a young age had an effect on your career later on? Was it something that steeled you for what was to come? Well, I definitely do. I think that playing with boys gives you another idea of you know how fast the game is, and boys are stronger and faster. And you know, they they didn't treat me as a girl; they just treated me as a, one of the other players, which was great. And uh, I think I learned a lot in those early years of uh, being able to you know, move the ball quickly and, and have very quick uh, you know, skills, which was fantastic. Was it, was hockey the sort of game once you got the stick in in your hands you knew that this was a game that you could play really well or is it something that you know developed and grew over time and as as you were in the game you realised you could play a little bit? I think it was the latter. You know, I just uh, I just enjoyed playing the sport with my brother, being outside and playing games and. I didn't really take it, you know, it wasn't something I was really serious about. I did athletics as well, so I had other sports that I was uh, doing. And uh, in the end, when I met John Robinson, he was the person who said, hey, look, you can, you can do this pretty well. Um, and then in school hockey, you know, I started getting selected for the school teams and that sort of stuff. So it was just, for me, it was just playing the game and you know, being in the team with my brother. We spoke to Terry Walsh on the show and, and he was of the opinion that having, uh, as a youngster, multi-sport background was very important to later development. Do you think that was important for you to have played all of these other sports as well? Look, I did, I did a number of different sports. You know, so, you know, softball, cricket, uh, athletics, you know, hockey. I did a lot of different sports and I, just, I think that's really, uh, really essential to learning different uh, development skills uh, and you know you can't just play one sport and go out playing one sport um, I totally agree that you know, multi-sports is very important Now the first time we sort of came to the wider hockey attention was at the 1993 Junior World Cup was that a surprise for you to be in that team? <laughs> <laughs> um no, because I'd been to the Olympics in Barcelona, so oh, it was uh, being, being, in, being in the Junior World Cup team wasn't a surprise. Uh, I think it was something that after going to, going to Barcelona, um, you know, playing in the under-21 team was, uh, was, was the fun part because you were back with your own age group. Did we, <laughs> I forgot about the 92 Olympics, actually. That came before 93, didn't it? Um, well, most, most Australians try and forget about the 92 Olympics. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure the players would like to forget about it as well. But it wasn't the only Olympic yeah, Games you went to. Yeah. It wasn't the only Olympic Games you went to. You went three to across no. your career. Oops. Yes, I was very fortunate to be able to compete at three, and you know, the first one was a disappointing start and experience. Um, but you know, the second two made up for those '92. Uh, and that that '92 uh, Olympics that was between. Two great eras for Australian women's hockey. I mean, you'd had the three gold medals on the trot, and then '92 came along, and where you didn't do so well, and then two gold medals back to back, finishing in Sydney. Well, I know that you know it was uh, it was definitely after '88 the girls had won gold. Um, I don't think that they. I think in '84 they didn't win gold. I think it was uh, another team. I think the Dutch one that won it back then. 
Um, and, you know, it was the third gold medal. It was the first gold medal, for, I think, for Australian Olympics. And you had a lot of heroes. Uh, I know that I had a few heroes in that team and idols who I looked up to to become an Australian hockey player. And that was, so that was an essential win for Australian women hockey in 88 uh, and for our sport. Now, Olympic Games weren't the only things you won gold medals at. There's a couple of World Cup, hockey World Cups in there as well. Um, Four Champions Trophies gold medals. We're about to see the demise of the Champions Trophy. Do you think that's sad for the game? Would you like to see them continue with a, a trophy like that? I would. Um, but, you know, they're, they're adding and taking uh, so many things out of the hockey program uh, at this point in time in the international calendar. But it's almost hard to keep up with everything that's happening. And uh, the Champions Trophy has an, is historical. It's for the women, uh, it's historical. For the men, it's even more historical. And I, you know, it's, it'll be disappointing to see it go. And I understand that you know times change and things have to. They're trying to grow, but this have the sport grow. But taking away such an essential historical tournament's uh, a little disappointing. Yeah. Alison, as a player, and I was lucky enough to see you play a couple of times. You seem to um, just be instinctive. You just happen to know where you were at any given point in time and the game seemed to come reasonably easy to you. Is that sort of rather naive from the outside? How much work were you putting in to make it look as though you were so doing it easily? <laughs> well, it, it doesn't come easy. It's something definitely you have to work very hard at. And uh, Look, I love uh, the tactical side of the game. I love reading, reading the play and uh, that was something that I spent a lot of time on and gave me an edge, I think, in the end of being able to be at the right place at the right time. Um, it's definitely a part of the game, so uh, and part of the game that I love. Were you one of those players that just sucked up everything the coach said? Well, not always. I think it's but I was, you know, I, I like to learn and I enjoy the game. And you know, if you enjoy something that you're doing, then learning's not such a such a hard thing. It's uh, it's almost enjoyable. Um, so I did I did take it a lot and and learn a lot also from the players around me, which is fantastic. You mentioned there you had disagreements with uh, Rick Charlesworth, but you also have been publicly quite praiseworthy of the efforts that he put in to get those girls to where they were at. Yes, I don't deny that he was absolutely one of the best coaches or the best coach that I've ever had. Um, a tactical, technical coach. I think he was uh, very innovative and um, he was he was a leader and we needed that at that, that, that stage in our career. So it was fantastic being coached by Rick, uh, definitely. Now that you're in the coaching ranks yourself, how do you think you would have been, as a player, being able to coach yourself or vice versa? Do you... <laughs> Do you, would you see yourself butting your head up against yourself? <laughs> oh, I, I just, I just, that's funny. I've never, never looked at it that way. You know, how would I be in that coach myself? You know, I do see in some players uh, that I coach myself in the way that I was and, and as a person and the way that I was as a player. And I guess uh, yeah, I think I would have been an enjoyable person to coach. <laughs> <laughs> Look, one thing you do hear sometimes, especially from other sports, is that great players often struggle to uh, moving to coaching because they don't really understand the struggles that players that don't have the skills they had 
go through to try and maintain that that level of performance. Was that something that you found hard when you first stepped into the coaching box? Absolutely. It's definitely something that uh, I did experience in the beginning. And uh, being at a you know, coach in a different culture, that was I was able to put it under the, you know, it's a different culture and, learn, and I spent some time learning how to coach different cultures, which did help me learn to coach, which was uh, a very... A very good experience, uh, and also having uh, something to, you know, they're not going from a player to a coach. You can't do that transition too early, and uh, being in a different culture helped me just take the time to become a better coach and, 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 and learn and experience it. When you got to the end of your playing career, was it obvious to you that now is the point that I've I've got to give up the playing and I've got to move on, or was it something that dragged out for a little while? You know, you're thinking about it, but you kept playing. Well, no, I actually uh, wanted to keep playing, but chose to you know not coach, not play under a certain coach, and um, I didn't agree with the things that were happening within the team okay, I can do two things. I can choose to do something that I'm not 100% behind. Or I can choose to, you know, not play. So I chose not to play. And, um, definitely retire. I did that a few years after. And the choice not to play anymore, at least, and put myself up for selection. And uh, you know, it was probably a disappointing end to my career, not being able to finish it playing not being selected, uh, so to speak. Um, but it definitely was definitely a choice of my own, and uh, it didn't drag out. It wasn't something I thought about a long time. I was very clear: this is not what I like. Uh, I don't think we'll be successful uh, this way. And I had other views. And I just think when you have such a strong idea of what needs to be done, and it's not that way, then you need to stop uh, yourself as a player. Yeah, fair enough too. Then, did did the coaching come about because you sought out to move overseas, or was it by circumstance? It just happened to be an offer that wasn't in Australia. Well, I moved to Holland to play hockey, so I I, I went there to experience playing in the overseas, and just really, I've I've always I've always coached, I've always. When I was a player, I was coaching teams and training athletes, and it helped me learn the game even more, you know, and also how to explain different skill sets to youth players. Uh, you have to explain it very easily so that they understand it, which made me understand uh, a lot of things very uh, much better. So it was something that I always did, and I knew that I always wanted to be coached. It was something that I... You know, I wanted to put back into the sport that gave me so much as well, which is, uh, you know, it's just something that's it's in my blood. I just love the game and I love playing it, but also putting back into it. How, how much different did you find the setup in in Holland? Um, the, I think personally, they've got a great club setup, and it's, it shows in the results of the national teams. Is it? Um, you know, was it a shock to you to see the way that the Dutch went about it, or you pretty much? knew what you were stepping into? I had no idea what I was stepping into, so I, you know, I didn't know that they had such a great club system. I hadn't really done much homework on um, the, the, the Dutch system. I just knew that, you know, I'd heard that it was good there, so let's go there. And 
um, you know, when you're there, it's, it's exciting, it's new. And once you've been there for a while, you can see the different the differences between having a club structure and having no club structure. Not always the ones always not better than the other. No, I'd I'd like to see their model expanded more. Personally, I'll I'll think that club hockey is the the way for the sport to move forward. But can you see that that being can you see that that Dutch model being exported around the world, or is it something that's peculiar to Holland? Well, look, it's, it's in, in Argentina they have a club structure, so they do they have something very similar, but they have multi-sport clubs. Mm. Um, and I just, you know, I think it's it's it costs a lot of money to run a club in Holland. Um, and I just, you know, sometimes I think if you look at the stadium, for example, Perth and Melbourne and the Gold Coast, if you see all of the clubs there and the structure there, there's a lot of games being played in the same location. Um, I guess, I guess that, uh, which makes it more accessible for people to see uh, high-level games and quality games and, and, and that sort of stuff. But it, it, uh, it lowers the chance of training times because there's a lot of people training at the same location at the same time. Um, so that has the benefits and it also hurts uh, things that, you know, don't help the game. Alison, just moving on to your coaching at the moment, uh, you're in charge of the... Dutch national women's team now they're a team that when you stepped into that role you're not looking at rebuilding you're not looking at trying to develop anything how much harder is it taking a team that's already close to the top as opposed to a team you know that's struggling and you can see definite points where you need to improve them and to move them forward I think in both um, and it's it's, it's, it's almost an assumption that there's no development or rebuilding um, that was definitely the case when I took over the team um, uh, so it's, it's the same it's just at a different level um, there may be less number of things that it has priority to focus on than other teams but it's definitely it's the same you know you're coaching you're coaching the same way there's, uh, just the focus on priorities As a national coach, when when a player enters into that that national setup, how much work do you think that you should be doing on that player to improve them, or should that player be coming to you pretty much a finished product, and it's just up for you to get them to work into a system? I believe doing a bit of spying for the upcoming World Cup. Uh, what have you made of the competition there? <laughs> well, it's really been interesting. So, uh, our competition season has lost its chance to the World Cup here. Um, so it's been interesting. The five things, five things. 
it's been very interesting watching those teams play. Uh, and it's also been interesting watching the teams play that aren't going to the World Cup, uh, who's made it very difficult for World Cup uh, competitors. You know, watching Canada play has been very interesting. Malaysia have made it difficult for a few teams here. Mm. Even though they're losing, you know, with the number of goals, they've made it very difficult, which has been interesting to see. And it's been interesting to watch how those teams have made it difficult for top-level teams. You know, India win against uh, England. Yeah. What did India do to make it so difficult for England? And not so, not so much looking at just England and how they play, but how other teams are playing against them to make it difficult for them. So it's been very interesting, interesting uh, week. Yeah. Yeah, I, I must admit, I've I've really liked what Indian women's hockey's doing at the moment. I saw the game last night, and I can't remember seeing an Indian team rush back in defence like that, male or female. Yeah, they're certainly doing uh, very good things there. So it's, uh, you know, it's good to see, and it's good to see more women's hockey teams uh, playing at a higher level. Uh, so you know, we're happy. I'm happy uh, to see teams are closer together here. Yeah. Now you've we mentioned you've done quite a little. But bit of hockey, quite a lot of coaching in, in Holland. The um, we've recently seen the Euro Club Challenge and for the men, and there was a great deal of hoopla about that. What about the women's side of the game? I'd like to see that the, the Euro Club Challenge promoted as much for women as men. Is is it as strong a competition? No, look, the, the Euro uh, Hockey Champ, the Championships are played uh, over four days in. Uh, and the women, it's not extended over a different, you know, the, the European hockey leagues played over, you know, almost two quarters of the year with round games and quarterfinals and semifinals and finals weekend. So it's not as big uh, for the women as it is for the men. And, uh, given, given the international programs, I, you know, I prefer to keep it back people with the four days instead of extending it over such a long time. Now, Alison, looking through your biography here, the list of achievements, the number of gold medals, there's tournament victories, teams of the year, player of the year awards. I mean, you've won just about everything as a player that you could possibly win. What about as a coach? What, what are your aspirations as a coach? Um, look, in the end, we, as a coach, you want your teams to win. That's, that's your goal. Um, and I, I, aside from that, um, I want my players to become better people and understand themselves more, to be able to be the best they can be. Um, it's not just about stick and ball stuff. It's definitely about the person. And if we can focus on giving them an, an experience to make them better people, which makes them better uh, hockey players, then uh, I'm a very happy coach at the end. Well, Alison... <laughs> One of the other things that you happen to have is three letters at the n- end of your name, A-O-M, well, O-A-M, I should get that correct, <laughs> yeah. that's the right way around. You're um, inducted into the Australian Sports Hall of Fame as well in 2013. You're, um, how important was those little three letters on the end of your name? Does it make you feel good when you see it up in print? Um, it does. It's, it's special. It's definitely something very special and uh it makes you a proud Australian to have uh, the three letters behind your name. And, uh, even prouder to be inducted into the Hall of Fame with a lot of other fantastic athletes, Australian athletes. And, and it just, you know, it, it reiterates what you've done in all the years that you've been representing Australia. And, 
even to the extent, you know, that you definitely want to put it back into the sport, but uh, sometime in the future maybe put something back into the same sport. Do you ever have to pinch yourself, Alison? I mean, when you when you look at your, your name up in that Australian Sports Hall of Fame, your record stacks up to anybody in there. Um, is it something when you look back on now you can't quite believe? Um, oh, look, you know, I, I don't really often look back at it. I just uh, it's something that I'm, you know, it's happened. It's in the past. Uh, I, I look forward, forward to the future and see what that brings and. Just be proud of the moments that we spent together in, in the hockey rooms, and I've, you know we've have come away with a lot of great friendships and great experiences through doing what we all loved to do. And you know we were very we were part of a very good era of players, and um, you know that's more important than the Hall of Fames and the OAMs at the end of your name. Yeah, probably is the time you spend with your teammates. Yes, definitely. Just one more thing before we let you go, Alison. I don't know how much you follow Australian hockey at the moment, but there's been a move to um, to change the Australian Hockey League to a nine-a-side competition with all sorts of funny frills added on to the end of it. Um, a lot of former players aren't happy about it. Are you aware of the situation at all? Well, I did read about it, nine-a-side, mixed hockey, um, I like the nine side game. I think that that's very uh, interesting. Most uh, people on the field more space. I'd be interested to see how they're going to to implement that with mixed hockey. Um, in Holland, we have a, a sport called ball, and that's uh, sort of a, a sort of netball, uh, except the nets are in a different place, and that's played mixed, so which is interesting. Um, I just don't know how that's going to work with. Uh, with hockey, hockey being a more physical sport, um, it'd be interesting. Uh, um, you know, I'm forward to watching the first game. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think the <laughs> the board's actually making a decision today, this morning, apparently, about whether they go ahead with it. So we'll find out more in the future. Yes, I, I yes, I do. I did understand that. So uh, I'll be seeing a few this afternoon. So uh, see what uh, see what's going to happen. Look, Alison, it's been a pleasure talking to you this morning. All the best with the upcoming World Cup and uh, your work with the Dutch women. The, the hockey you guys are playing at the moment is fantastic, by the way. It's um, it's really good to watch. Thank you. Thank you. I enjoy watching it as well. It uh, <laughs> <which> helps. <laughs> can, can you, you mentioned playing mix before. Can you see... Can you see women competing with men evenly on a hockey field, or is it just something that we should not think no. about? No, no, it will never happen. No, it will never happen. Never, they'll never be able to play equal of equal strength of of equal speed, um, which 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 would of course be interesting. When you know, how would they um, how would they implement this nine um, aside yeah. mixed hockey game? Uh, but you know that that would be more the interesting part before anyone decides whether it's going to be a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, how would it be played? And you know, I think that's the interesting part. Physically, it's not going to happen. Thank you once again for your time this morning, Alison. It's been a pleasure talking to you. We look forward to seeing how you go at the upcoming World Cup, and um, I'm sure you girls are going to be at the pointy end of it. And 
And with whatever comes after the World Cup, I assume you, you're looking forward to, to another Olympic program? Well, I, I'll say after the World Cup. I've got a, my contract's until the end of the World Cup with the possibility of Tokyo, so we'll see what happens. Well, once again, good luck, Alison, and thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. You're listening to the Reverse Stick, the Global Hockey Podcast. My name's John Lee, your host, and I'm being helped along in this episode by Matt Allen impersonator Les Folds. You're not wearing the same dress he normally wears into the studio, though. Yeah, I, looked, I went through his wardrobe. I didn't find anything that fit me. Matt's actually a little bit smaller than me, oh. so, yeah. So it's just down to these leggings. Couldn't even squeeze into the pumps? No, not the pumps either, no. Oh, no. You know what they say about feet and length. If you've uh, been listening, you would have also been listening to the voice of Alison Annan, who is, apart from being an Australian hockey legend, the Dutch coach for the national women's team, who are on an absolutely phenomenal role at the moment. And you'd think they'd be, uh, you know, almost even money come World Cup time this year. World Cup winners. Yeah, I can see that in the future. I mean, their only danger is believing their own bullshit, really. <laughs> Isn't it? There's that, a fair I mean, bit of that from Holland. Yeah. <laughs> that is, uh, Hello to spoke, all the Dutch <laughs> listeners out there. <laughs> spoken and authorised by those folks. <laughs> no, but they, they, I mean, funny things happen in sport, we know, but they're, if you were wanting to be sitting anywhere in the world at the moment, it's where they'd be sitting. Mm, absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, if Australia actually... Um, did the right thing and, and got her back into the Australian colours and uh, you oh. know, utilised not only her skill on the field but off the field. I think we could see a pretty good way forward for Australian women's hockey. So, And that's not taking anything from the guys that are there at the moment. I mean, they're doing the best with what they've got. Um, and I think you know we're on the rise ourselves. So it's unfortunate that we've seen this Com Games, a couple of injuries and that sort of thing haven't uh, worked very well for us. One of my personal favourites, Georgia Wilson, out with an ACL injury. Yeah, terrible. terrible to see. Um, but then that was the only WA girl in the side, which was also a disappointment from Western Australians' perspective. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, come maybe World Cup. I don't think she'll be back for that, unfortunately. But definitely Tokyo 2020. Go, Georgia. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Good luck to her. OK, we've got some other things to get on to. And you mentioned... Um Upcoming cups and all sorts of things, and coaches and developments and that sort of thing. The uh, Franken Nines, the Australian the Franken Hockey Nines. Nines. Yeah, it's the Franken <laughs> Nines, mate. What you've seen the concept, you've heard about it. What do you make of it? Oh, it's pretty strange, isn't it? It's a hybrid sort of um, mixed-up sort of milkshake game. It's you know, it's flavours and malt and ice cream and you know, it's. <laughs> What's going Strawberries on? Strawberries on top. Yeah, what's... Celebratory moments. I, I don't get... Well, our favourite part of that. Celebrate good times, come on. Yeah, absolutely. But we don't have a birthday every week. No, that's my... That's... You're right. Yeah, you know, we don't, we don't celebrate, you know, events regularly. And I think that if you want to watch that sort of sport, don't watch soccer for a start. Football, as they call it around the world, because... They hardly ever score, but watch AFL. Basketball. You know, AFL, basketball. You know, basketball, it's one end to the other end, one end to the other end. AFL football, they got points, they got goals. You know, if you want to see that scoring, there's games to watch. Yeah. Yeah, there's people to see. You know, purity within hockey. If you want to see a few more goals, just make the goals a bit wider. 
<laughs> Rick Charlesworth did it a few years ago with the competition that they ran here in Perth. Well, wasn't that a nines competition? It was a nines competition, okay. but why not have the 11 on the field with the goals a bit wider, allow them to shoot from within the 25 or, you know, from anywhere on the field, open that up a bit. There are things we can do without having to milkshake it. Yeah, I look, I think it's a terrible decision to move forward with it, especially, well... No, I don't think it's a terrible decision to have a nines competition. What I think it's a terrible decision is to have it as a replacement for the Australian Hockey League. Absolutely. I don't think it should replace. I think it's something that perhaps could be added to the hockey calendar. Well, they're only talking about a five-week competition. That's that's what seems to me to be the insane part of it. They could both fit into the calendar quite comfortably. Quite comfortably. And, And then you get the idea where players will be going back to play for their state of origin in the national competition and then they'll have the franchise model where they could be pl- Perth boys playing in Queensland or, you know, Tasmanian boys playing in Perth or whatever. So you get another different level and flavour of an avenues for people to support it because the people in Tasmania might support their boy playing in this franchise but when they play it, there's home state and you know how it all works. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. And the Tasmanian boys would have to come and play in WA, wouldn't they? Because there's no Tasmanian team. Yeah, well... They they're, said they're not going to get involved in it. Which is a really interesting point, Les, because the guy who's behind the Tasmanian hockey, uh, they made the state in their statement saying this would in, impose another impost over and above the imposts they've already been asked to absorb this year. The extra um, twenty dollars per player yeah, or whatever it was from Hockey Australia. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, that's to pay for the pro league. Now, the pro league's greatest. Um, protagonist, not protagonist, agitator for in this country is the same bloke that's saying these imposts from Hockey Australia are too great for us. But this impost is being made by Hockey Australia so that we can join the league <laughs> that you want us to join. It's it, There's this dark web that's starting to build around Hockey Australia at the moment and it's all to do with the Pro League mm. and it's all to do with this Hockey Nights and it's all to do with funding. I'm not sure it's a web. I think it's something around a China bowl, personally. A bird's It needs a bit of a flush. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. That's my opinion on it all. Well, look, if this Hockey Nines goes ahead, if they truly follow this path, then all of everybody's head's on the block. And that, that means that if this doesn't come off, all of you people walk away from the marketers at the Australian Sports Commission and at Hockey Australia, from all of the board members, from all the people at Hockey Victoria that have been pushing this model, if it goes tits up, you walk away from the game because mm. this is your crack at it now. The whole hockey community is saying to you, we don't like it. Everybody is saying we don't like it. And I think we can take that one step further. We don't want it. Yep. Yep. And then the absolute bottom line is we don't need it. We don't need it. It's no. as simple as that. Do Hockey s- has been a pure game. The first team sport at the Olympic Games, way back in the early 20th century. Yes, we've had rule changes. Yes, we've had format changes. But we have remained true to those first games that were played of hockey. Yeah, we can't say the same for other sports. No. Like football, like your rugby's, like your AFL's. Keep hockey pure. Oh, I'm quite happy to endorse that one. Nearly brought a tear to my own eye. <laughs> So what else has been on, on your mind with hockey, Les? Let's talk about juniors. 
and junior development and the models that we use for that because you have a bit to do with juniors. Oh, I have had a bit to do with the juniors and some national championships and that sort of thing. So um, I really see that there are some states who are embracing um, juniors far more seriously um, than some of the other states. Um, I'd like to think that um, those states who are in front at the moment will be caught up quicker rather than later. Um, I, I would like to see more opportunity for more kids across Western Australia. That's what I'd like to see. And I think Hockey WA are trying to improve that situation as it stands at the moment. Um, I'd like to see those kids in Hockey WA that have the potential to go on and play at the highest level um, reach their potential. Um, we, I mean, we've seen some fabulous players come out of Country WA to represent our nation. Um, former Australian captains and those sorts of things come to mind. Um, but really it starts back at the grassroots ground level. The the, the clubs themselves, um, I think, are struggling to get some numbers into junior hockey with some of the other sports that are around and marketing themselves better within schools, um, you know, generally within the community. And I think the only way that we're going to get more people playing hockey is to market ourselves better at the community, school, club level. And I really think that we need our associations to back the clubs far more strongly than they have so that we can get the development and meet the potential of some of these kids that are out there at the moment. Well said. I mean, what I hear you saying is what I've heard other people from other countries saying. Oh, mate, yeah. Look, I don't have many original thoughts. (laughs) I listen. I regurgitate. Um, it may have my own spin or language on it, but the simple fact of the matter is that, you know, for hockey to keep competing, we are a sport that does well without funding. You know, we've had government funding, we haven't had great marketing, great sponsors, and I know some of the people in Hockey Australia who have been involved in that sort of thing and are still currently involved in that sort of thing, and it's a struggle to get money. Oh, yeah, it is. You know, to get these large companies to put money into a sport like hockey, which is successful without money... Um, is a difficult thing, very difficult thing. But I think with the availability of more funding, we can do even better um, and we can expose the game to more people and have more people enjoy a game that you can play from the age of five to the age of 75 and at a very good level. Well, we've got the walking hockey taking off down at our local club, um, Freo, uh, I think in the next couple of weeks and I can't remember Matt had the dates for that but yep. that's sort of inclusive you don't have to be running around like a, a, an Olympic athlete sort of playing hockey but mate I've built you know the last 40 years on that yeah. <laughs> 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 I look, so look forward to seeing that actually mate, close you, up you, this year <laughs> if you have to run you're in the wrong spot yep, you're not reading the play well <laughs> enough <laughs> I agree with you totally uh, uh, you, hang on a seat. You you kept saying to me on the Saturday, "Hey, hang on a seat. You're supposed to be in front of me. Get in front of me. Get in front of me." <laughs> That's because I'd gone past you and couldn't get back. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Look, you, you bring up some interesting points. Um, funding. See, because I, I I think that we're we're working at the wrong model of funding, trying to rely on government funding through Olympic funding models and and those sorts of things. And hockey's got to find its find a way to fund itself in the same way that other sports do, and I'm talking soccer or, or football or whatever, AFL football, rugby do, and that's through the clubs. 
they generate money through people loving the clubs that they associate themselves with, spending money to go to the games, spending money to buy the television subscriptions or the products that are advertised on the free-to-air broadcast, supporting sponsors. And one of the problems I see is engaging with the hockey community to do those things that the supporters of other sports do. Yeah, and you know, relying on government funding, we can't we can't simply do that into the future, as we've seen with this winning edge model that hasn't worked oh. for hockey. I mean, it's been an absolute disaster for for somebody to think to drag money out of a sport that's just had a, a minor failure, so that you can't actually get the people into the sport that should be there to improve it for the next Olympic Games. It to me is just a, the wrong way to do it. Can, can we just quantify the minor failures? Where did the men and women finish, just quietly? Oh, uh, can you remember? Was it sixth no, and eighth? Some, somewhere like that, yeah. So sixth yeah. in the world and eighth in the world is a failure. If yeah. that, that had been a sport like modern pentathlon, we'd have been lauding them for finishing sixth or eighth. Yeah, or football. Oh, well, don't forget football at the Olympic Games is an under-23 competition. If, if, I mean, if we were sixth in the world, not... 23rd or 32nd or wherever we oh, are at the yeah. moment. I mean, we'd be overjoyed. You know, we'd have shirts over our heads. We'd be running for the corner flag, wouldn't we? Yeah, well, it's a simple number one in the hockey world, uh, yeah, hockey world league title holders and the champions trophy winners. And, the and then for a minor aberration in yeah. one competition to have our AIS numbers reduced to the level that they were. I mean, to me, it's just you know, it smacks of idiocy. I can't say it any plainer than that. You know, we actually needed the, the the same level of funding or slightly more to ensure that we had the support staff, that we could get the people the right support that they needed, the right coaching, the right whatever it happened to be, to improve our effort. I still think and that gain the result that you know Hockey Australia really really was pushing for. Gold medals, uh, money doesn't equal gold medals, and there's there's nothing to say that um, you know the more funding those that particular group of players had have got going to that particular competition against that other particular group of competing athletes, they would have done any better or worse. Sometimes that's just where you are. Yeah, yeah throwing, throwing too more money at it is just up against a wall, you know. Yeah. Doesn't make sense at all sometimes. Yeah, but withdrawing money, I think, was actually the wrong yeah. thing to do. Yeah. Oh, no doubt. Definitely. So. You, you can't know, make the pool smaller. No. No. And look, you know, if there's any companies out there who are even, you know, mildly interested in hockey, thinking about, you know, where they need to put some extra funds or something, get down to your local club. You know, put some money into your local club there. That's it. Get those people to then start to put money back into your business, whatever it happens to be, so that we can start something. Start that groundswell. You know, get some money into it. We've seen some big clubs here in WA who are relying on individual members to support their efforts to get where they want to go. I don't think that's the way forward. I think it has to come from the many to support the few, and we push forwards from there. Well, I always think of it like dairy farming. You know, the more milk you have, the more cream you get. Mm. So that's what you've got to be concentrating on, is having as much milk as you can, because then you can make shit loads of cream. Yep, and I've just made a great leap to chocolate. Thanks, John. A couple of bars on the way home, stopping in at the <laughs> service station. <laughs> Still got a couple of Easter eggs waiting for me. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> One thing I think that we can say from what we've seen, the experience of Australian hockey in the last, say, 30 years since the introduction of turf, is that centralised hockey does not work. For it, clubs. For clubs. The centralised hockey system doesn't work at all, I think. It, it, it actually shrinks the game. 
what you need is as many people playing as widely as possible. So you don't want them all going there every week. You want to share that love out across the clubs. You want not 40, the same 40 people rolling up at the Perth Hockey Stadium every weekend to watch Classic League games. You want 100 people from a club turning up on a Saturday afternoon watching their team play. And then hopefully some of those people transfer to going to the other club when you play the away league. Yep. The like fixture. It, like it used to like be. Like football. Mm. Soccer football. Yep. Their model's brilliant. None of, none of the professionalism, well, professional doesn't exist at the international level. I know they get paid and they get paid well because that's the, the money that sport generates. But they're professional sportsmen because of what they do at club levels. Okay? Wind up, wind back the international calendar and make playing for your country something really, really special. I'm not saying it's not special at the moment, but Make it a celebratory yeah. moment by yep. making it more special. Yep, I think you're right. I think you know playing for your country is is the absolute peak of any sportsman's dream is representing your country. Um, it, you know, the more competitions there are at that level, I think it dilutes the specialty, the specialness, mm. whatever the word would be there. Um, and I, I really think that those players who play at that level should be seen more around clubs, should be seen playing more at their local club. The idea that you've suggested that, you know, we get some of these classic league guys back at clubs playing on grass again. I mean, grass is such a great leveller. You know, if you add water to grass, like rain, you see a contest. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. You know, it doesn't just rely on that Australian guy's skill and guile and experience because he's faced with the same issues that the lesser players are faced with and it really brings out the character in those guys I think and girls and I really think it would be something for clubs to be able to celebrate with you'd get more people there you'd get more people putting a little bit more money into the club via the bar via the cafeteria via the local chook raffle or you know meat platter whatever it happens to be and I really think that there is an argument for going back to that sort of style of game as well so okay clubs have grass if you don't want them to play on grass Let's get associations to assist clubs to get turf. Good idea. It doesn't have to be as difficult as I think we make it. I think everybody should be contributing to a pot of money that we can all withdraw from. The Australian Sports Commission runs these sorts of things. (laughs) I think we can bring it away from them and we can actually run that sort of stuff here. I think with some of the people that we've got within Hockey WA in particular, I think we've got the sort of expertise that could possibly be able to utilise some form of funding in that manner. You know, why should different clubs be struggling and fighting against each other for funding when we should all actually be trying to support each other a little bit more so that we can actually improve the game of hockey across WA as a whole? For us to have more turfs outside our major city than within our major city, I think is a bit of a travesty. And I really would like to see some model put forward whereby we're supporting each other, not trying to drag from each other all the time funding and um, support and that sort of stuff. Um, I mean, it's just an impost on clubs, another impost on clubs um, that I really think if we put our heads together and put aside some of the parochial club arguments, we could do a much better job at. Oh, that's another good point you brought up tonight. I fully agree with the idea of taking hockey back to clubs, certainly in this country. I mean, they're lucky in Europe it's a, it's a bit different, although I know Matt talks a lot about um, clubs that don't 
have home grounds as such. Yep. They play out of a pub and then use a turf that, you know, play out of a pub. Well, they, that's it. <laughs> <That's laughs> their club rooms is essentially the pub after the game. It's the local pub, yeah. Yeah. Yep. But, um, you know, we need, we need to foster the, the clubs like other sports have a club where people go and watch games and hang around in the social club and have a meal and, you know, Saturday afternoon. Five o'clock. There's your number one team taking on your crosstown derby rivals, and yeah, absolutely. President's yep. dinner beforehand, or the speeches, and you know, make up real big events. They're your moments. That's the moments you need to be creating, not these rubbish on field. Oh, we got another goal. Oh, twenty-eight to thirty-four. Mm. Yep, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Clubs are all. <laughs> Now, Les, this is the bit where we normally talk about all the social feed commentary stuff that's been going on in the Facebook, Twitter sphere and all that. Matt is actually the expert on the Facebook, social, Twitter sphere area. Mate, I'm a big letdown for you there. Well, you've just pricked a balloon, mate. I'm burst. (laughs) Sorry. I I must admit, I'm struggling because I follow our good friend at the reverse stick, Jazz Preetsani. Uh, the Indian sports journalist, and he's been covering the Commonwealth Games and the Indian team, and he must have grown three extra heads and about eight different sets of arms as well, because he's gone mental on the <laughs> on the social media, and everything is just jazz going, This India's doing that. India, I can't keep up with what's going on with India, let alone what's going on with the rest with of the, the rest of the mobs. Yeah. yeah. Um, but one thing I would like to say about social media: if you're an Australian hockey player, coach fan, supporter, lover, get onto the social medias and start venting your frustration at the Franken-9s. Get on there. Just let them know you don't want it. If enough people say we don't want it, they won't have it. And if they do have it, they know that their heads are on the chopping block because we all told them not to have it. Absolutely. Um, I think information is power, isn't it? I think it that's uh, that's been proven time after time after time. So if you've got any interest in hockey at all, any interest in the future of hockey at all, I really think you should uh, arm yourself with some information, um, read up as much as you can about it, and then make your own decision. Don't let us sway your decision, but I think we're on the right track. Yeah, no, good point. Don't let us make a decision for you. You should go and find out, and then say you don't like it. <laughs> Absolutely, and then follow our lead. Yes. Oh, look, Les, uh, that's just about it. You can catch us on the socials too, by the way. Get in touch on the Facebooks and Twitter, the reverse stick slash Twitter, Facebook, whatever it is. Google us, the reverse stick. You can find us all over those sorts of things. Matt will be uh, continuing to uh, peruse the uh, Facebooks and stuff while he's uh, on his family sojourn. We wish him all the best. It's all right, mate. The pool's still blue. Um, and we'll hear from him again soon. It went that funny colour when you weed in it. It did, yeah, that purpler colour. Is that the one? <laughs> Beetroot. <laughs> Les, it's been great having you. been great to be here, mate. Yeah. yeah. absolute pleasure as usual. Can't wait to have a winning year this year with you on the field as well. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. Saturday, first game of the season. No yeah, doubt. Sunday, not so good. Nah, won't be. Thanks a lot, mate. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Cheers.